0: you know, these are some sectors that have been really beaten down, right? Whether it's energy stocks and the ESG sort of movement has has led a lot of, uh, of these stocks to be effectively thrown out with the bathwater because they're fossil fuel related and fossil fuels are going away. And uh, you look at anybody that's done any research in the industry and it shows that Demand for 30, 50 years from now is is expected at worst to be slightly lower than where it is today, right? Fossil fuels aren't going away. EV and green energy sources are coming online, but not necessarily fast enough to offset the actually overall increase in the demand for energy.
1: Welcome back to Investing Experts podcast. I'm your host for today, Rena Sherbel, and I'm excited to bring you my conversation today with David Trainer, longtime Seeking Alpha contributor, CEO of New Constructs, an investment research firm. Great to have him on talking the markets, specific stocks, how investors should be thinking about navigating the markets. Look for David Trainer's articles on Seeking Alpha. And all Investing Experts podcast episodes are available with full transcripts on Seeking Alpha. Also, any article mentioned in this podcast will be available on the show notes, which is in the episode description on whatever podcast platform you may be listening to. And if you're invested in the markets, I hope you are listening to our flagship podcast, Wall Street Breakfast. So those searching for insight, investing, news, reporting, and analysis, look no further than Wall Street Breakfast podcast. Hope you enjoy today's conversation. David, welcome to Seeking Alpha. Welcome back to Investing Experts podcast. It's great to have you back on the show.
0: It is great to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Last time you were talking to Daniel Snyder and you shared some of your strategy and your background and how you got to investing. So, for audience members who missed that, I recommend checking it out for a deeper dive into your background and and some of your uh thoughts on the market uh, you know, a few months ago. I'd love if you could update listeners on how you're looking at the markets, how you're thinking about the markets these days, late June, pre-long holiday weekend.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think that that for me, you know, f- despite all the sort of popular narratives about this or that driving the market, I, I feel like for the uh, the near term, it's really all about liquidity and how much either the Fed or the Treasury are pumping into the economy. I've seen plenty of um, charts showing a very tight alignment between, hey, if they're still putting money in, um, stocks are going to, you know, the animal spirits are alive and well. Uh, And when that liquidity begins to be drained or, you know, when the Treasury typically tends to sort of back off um, and the Fed's tightening actually starts to take hold, you see stocks retract. And I think that's a consistent theme for really most of the last 20 years. Uh, The the long term decline in interest rates has effectively just put more money into circulation uh, and certainly lowered the threshold for what would be a profitable investment. Um, and therefore made made it easier to make money. Um, You know, that's a lower cost of capital effectively does that. We've been awash in too much liquidity for a long time. So at some point there probably needs to be a reckoning. And I think the real question is when uh, and and maybe never. Who knows? I mean, look, they could potentially kick the can down the road uh, forever. What we're seeing with the uh, federal deficit and and spending and and uh, federal debt, you know, is not necessarily a good example for uh, fiscal behavior. Uh, and I think a lot of that's mimicked at the consumer level, too. So uh, we're in interesting times. You know, who knows? Maybe we can borrow forever.
1: Do you think we're ever going to get out of interesting times? It seems like we're in a perpetual interesting time cycle. Um, wh- what do you think the reckoning, if it does come, what do you think that looks like? And what do you think it it would mean for investors?
0: I, I think I think what this means mainly is it, it hopes. I think the hope is and and because they know this, right? I mean, they understand that if you, you've got too much money chasing too few good opportunities, right? There's not an infinite number of great business ideas. And we've certainly seen a lot of bad ones get a lot of funding. You know, FTX. A lot of these ipos that came out several years ago right i mean there's just a lot of been colossal failures and we're seeing more and more all the time in some of the private equity space so there's sort of three ways this kind of happens like in a very very simplistic model Rena, right you've got like you've got it goes on forever and never stops you got it comes to a crashing halt and it's cataclysmic and you know we have a long you know a lot of people lose a lot of money and a lot of people discourage and don't invest for a long time and you have something in between where you have more of a gradual unwinding of these bad investments in and in a gradual uh steady but sure uh reallocation of capital to towards higher returning investments or uh higher return on capital type of investments and I think what the Fed is hoping for is something right there in the middle you know to, to sort of walk the primrose path of hey we want to re- return to a world where people are more discerning about where they allocate capital and therefore we can kind of get back to longer term growth uh opportunities and without creating too much damage I don't know if it's possible you know at some point people have got to effectively pay the price for putting their hand on the hot stove I mean you know you, you can't not lose money for putting money in a bad investment um how we navigate this, I think, will will be honestly the is the quintessential question of our time. It will be what defines a lot of financial uh, history and um, economic history and history books and and textbooks um, because we live in this new age where people can sort of print money, and we're seeing the the links to which that can go to affect economies.
1: Based on how the Fed has acted and and how you think the history of of the market is going to write itself right with a W. uh the, ne- the coming quarters, uh, the rest of this year. How do you envision uh, kind of macro picture? How do you envision what kind of CPI numbers do you envision coming out? What kind of picture from the Fed do you envision coming out? How are you looking at Q3 earnings? What's your general take?
0: Uh, i i think that i think sort of the consensus amongst the sort of the the more rigorous investors is the q3 earnings are or q2 earnings are still way too high they've got to come down quite a bit uh and and that's that's going to potentially cause some some issues Uh, as for like the fed and cpi and those kinds of things i sort of shy away from some of that rena because i mean there's just too there's too much opportunity for some manipulation You know, look, we've, you know, there are many, many books and studies that have shown since before Nixon, uh, you know, the the White House administration and other regulators have effectively rewritten the formulas for how CPI and other things are measured. So uh, depending how you slice it, uh, and honestly, depending how the narratives are spun, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we've got bad news all the time. You know, the Fed said we're pausing, but we're going to raise rates more later. And it didn't matter what the Fed said. The market sort of had its own narrative, and that's all it cared about. Uh, And and so I've kind of given up trying to figure out what the prevailing narrative is going to be because I don't I can't control. it. I think it's hard to predict it. Uh, I do think that 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 most of uh, sophisticated investors understand that there needs to be some reconciliation. We hear that a lot, whether it's from Drunken Miller or Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger or many other folks. Right. Um, We hear it quite a bit and. And so how it's going to actually unfold and when? I mean, that's the that's the billion dollar question. If I I could tell you that, (laughs) you know, we'd be doing this on my yacht. Right. Uh, (laughs) If we'd be doing it at all, you know. Uh, And and so I think that's the tough part. I think that's what makes markets tricky. It's what makes our time interesting.
1: Yeah. So speaking of these interesting times, I think part of what is making it interesting Are these disruptions across the board i think every sector you look at you can see this disruption happening in tech it's ai uh you know in finance it's crypto and various degrees of successful crypto uh but there's so much happening in every sector what do you have favorite sectors to to look at or, or are you more focused on the stocks
0: no we definitely look at things at a sector level so because we cover so many stocks and uh, that we we definitely have insights on the overall market in terms of just fundamentals and valuation now you know that doesn't mean I can predict when these disconnects will rectify uh I just means that we see them and we can look at them in historical context but when you look at historical context at the macro level and a lot of things we're in uncharted territory so exactly when that territory starts to look or or revert to the mean I'm not going to predict uh but yeah on a sector level we like a a re um a sort of reallocation into basic materials financials and energy you know these are some sectors that have been really beaten down right whether it's energy stocks and the ESG sort of movement has has led a lot of uh, of these stocks to be effectively thrown out with the bathwater because they're fossil fuel related and fossil fuels are going away and uh you look at anybody that's done any research in the industry and it shows that Demand for 30, 50 years from now is is expected at worst to be slightly lower than where it is today, right? Fossil fuels aren't going away. EV and green energy sources are coming online, but not necessarily fast enough to offset the actually overall increase in the demand for energy. So um, as the the rest of the world sort of gentrifies or continues to gentrify, energy consumption is growing faster than uh, alternative sources of energy are growing. So there's plenty of demand for fossil fuels. It's not going away. Basic materials, you know, th- this, this is the engine that makes the world go. We're so excited about AI and all these fancy technologies that are going to you know, make, make uh, uh, spaceships to the moon and cars drive themselves and cars fly and machines do all our work for us that we've forgotten that at some point in time, we need the steel to build these machines. <laughs> We need the manufacturing to keep people fed, to keep people to keep to keep the systems and, and bridges and uh, basic infrastructure going. We've got so sort of disconnected, I think, from our roots uh, to these uh, ethereal ideas around crypto and and things that we've forgotten. You know, we still got to build the things that make America work or make the make the world work. Let's see. I guess that's all three, right? We, I guess banks. We just we've obviously seen a lot of banks get beaten down. Uh, and for a long time, be undervalued, right? I mean, the financial sector, as so a percentage of the S&P has been on a long-term secular decline. And we think it's a bit, a bit overstated. And a lot of that's just because you get too much in, in technology. Uh, and so I think those are sectors where we're seeing a lot of opportunity. Uh, we've got a lot of long ideas. So I'm not cataclysmic about the market at all. I don't believe in the cataclysmic scenario. I believe in the Fed attempting to, to walk the primrose path. Uh, and I believe in giving our clients and, and the world like opportunities to put money were at work in the safest places in the market now, uh, and then very be very very clear about avoiding, for sure, uh, what we call micro bubbles or places in the market where we think are just you know ridiculously overvalued and and will will for sure suffer. Uh, you know I can't tell you how fast or how severe, but will for sure suffer as we as i think regulators try to navigate our our markets and our our economy and our society to a place where we are more discerning thoughtful and deliberate about how we allocate our resources
1: and what would you designate as as these mini bubbles when you look at the market right now
0: everything on our zombie stock list (laughs) we created a zombie stock list right at a year ago and it's been a pretty phenomenal performer Obviously the uh, second half of last year, the great the very beginning of this year, there's a bit of a a return to to, to nuttiness and we've, we've seen it even out quite a bit. Uh, but it, it's it's a, it's a lot of things. I'll I'll run through a few specifics
1: and here. explain to listeners how they get on that zombie list like what uh, what the yeah
0: yeah the zombie stock list is com- are companies that are burning so much cash that they have less than 24 months of runway. So they have so little cash that they're not going to be able to support their current cash burn rate for more than 24 months. A lot of times it's just a couple of months, a few months. And then we've seen companies have to raise more capital uh, or cut staff, cut spending drastically. Um, so it's, first of all, very limited runway, very limited prospects. like get bad business model. Almost all of our zombie stocks came from our danger zone stock list so these were already bad stocks bad business but zombie stocks were were our stocks that we believe will go to zero because they're running out of money we're in an environment where raising new capital is very expensive and punitive right I mean rates are a lot higher I don't know if you tried to you know if you look lately the mortgage rates are a lot higher HELOC is a lot higher everybody's like you know and with rates being higher and money on the margin becoming tighter we think lenders are going to be less likely to lend. Like if this this company has been losing a ton of money and they've just been rolling over their debt, do you really want to be in the, you know, know, hoping that the music doesn't stop when it's your loan that needs to be repaid? Uh, and, And lastly, they got a negative interest coverage ratio. So they don't have enough money to cover their interest payments. So yet another reason why, if they do have to borrow more money to continue the cash burn, uh another reason why lenders would be unlikely to lend or they if they do lend will be at a much more expensive rate so we've got about i think 30 stocks on that list and it's a variety of industries uh so you know a couple um you know a lot of them come from the ipo time frame um but when i think about pockets it's it's technology it's it's restaurant concepts it's electric vehicles Certain of certain of those, everything from Shake Shack and Sweet Green to Wayfair to Oatly, Compass, Sunrun, Uber, Redfin, Carvana, lucid Rivian.
1: What would you say in a in a soundbite, what would you say about uh, Uber?
0: Uh, I'd say that's a business that you know it's a commoditized industry, right? How many taxi drivers do you know uh, that are billionaires? right or taxi companies right uh they've been burning cash at a, at a great rate uh they can't do it forever um you know it, it was the corporate governance there was been horrendous it was only within the last I think six or 12 months that they admitted that their primary KPI adjusted EBITDA was a bad KPI because it did not result in profits right so really until a short while ago Rena they were saying to the world we're we're doing great with our adjusted EBITDA and then when when the Fed changed its stance definitively uh, about a year ago, a few months later, you know when when all of a sudden the PU world said, "Oh, it's not just about growth. We know we care about unit economics and we care about profits now." Oh, so for, you know how's that for a change in, in, in talk, right? Oh, we care about profits now. Well, then the Uber people had to come out and say the Uber CEO, "Yeah, we're not going to use this KPI anymore because guess what? It was a complete joke." He didn't use those words, but that's the words I would use when you say that a KPI for a business doesn't have anything to do with profitability or actually what's good for the business. That's a bad thing. Uh, valuation is still extremely expensive. And yeah, I just don't, I think they're going to have a really hard time getting any more debt um, or continue to fund this business because it's just not a lot of profit to be made. I mean, there's, you know, what, give me, tell me what their competitive advantage is for any of these businesses and how hard is it or not hard, how simple is it for other companies to do, to start up and and compete? You know, there's not, they're not really major, many barriers to entry uh, for what Uber is doing. And, you know, when you ask the bankers, as I have talked to bankers who worked on this deal or the Lyft deal, the best they can ever come up with for me when I say, hey, so what is the competitive advantage? Why why should someone invest in this? Uh, And of course this is off the record, right? uh their answer is well they can raise more money than other people <laughs> right and I guess when you're when your KPI is a number that doesn't result in profitability uh and you have a license to burn more money I guess that's makes it a in the short term a better investment long term I think it makes it a zombie stock
1: yeah sounds a lot like the cannabis sector honestly we got, we got
0: we got one of those Tilray as the zombies on the zombie stock list. They're really well funded. They raise a lot of capital, so they got a long runway. Some of these. So there's a lot of bad businesses out there that aren't zombie stocks because their runway is so long.
1: Mm-hmm. Fine line. Uh, so let's get to some good news. What do you like? What, what's what are some of the stocks that you're long that you would advise investors to check out?
0: so you know it's it's a it's, it's a pretty wide variety you know we've we've written fairly recently on stocks like valvoline you know i think that's a great you know good old business those those uh instant oil change businesses it's just it's great right i mean it's uh, very profitable growing uh feeding a, a world where people don't change their own oil anymore uh evs need 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 that need maintenance regular maintenance as well so they're not going away because oil changes are going away and by the way oil changes are going away all that fast. I think they're still, you know, going to be growing for a while. Um, you know, we, we like some of the legacy automakers. We think part of the micro bubble with the EV startups means that there's a excess amount of capital there that's been effectively taken away from Ford and GM and that those that those firms will leverage what will prove to be the more important advantage, which is scalability, manufacturing expertise into the EV space. They'll catch up on the technology front and it'll ultimately be the the uh, scale that they have in place that is very expensive. And so far, really, really, I don't think Tesla has delivered all. I don't think they've sustainably generated, sustainably generated profits at Tesla. Uh, I think a lot of it's false from regulatory credits. And I think a lot of it's false from uh, a really big cutback in, in R&D and other kinds of expenses that they're gonna need in order to, to not, not fall behind as fast because they're no longer staying ahead. They're losing market share. pretty much every market
1: we just got and we just had a conversation a bull bear debate around tesla and and they were echoing some of those points so you feel like gm or ford could overtake them easy in the ev space
0: eventually yeah it's not going to happen tomorrow yeah but this is a big slow moving industry yeah i mean think about how long tesla's been around Right. And, and, um, you know, look, um, Elon Musk is one of the greatest hypesters of all time. I mean, the amount of capital he's raised for that business and what he's been able to do. And it's been in many ways, great for the electric vehicle business. Has it been good for society? Have we tried to push too much money into that? And are a lot of people going to lose a lot of money? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but does, does it help change some behavior? That part is good. You know, that for sure is good. I mean, I think Elon Musk has done some good things and some bad things. Uh, it's hard to paint people with one brush. We're, yeah. we're dynamic creatures. Uh, He's not the savior. He's not the devil. <laughs> well said. Uh, AutoZone and O'Reilly, right? S- p- keeping on the car theme, uh, those have been two extremely successful picks for us, and we still think they look good. You know, and 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 again, the, the, you know, there's just great business models, very efficient that people overlook because they're not as sexy. Well, let's see here. What else is, is on the on the list? You know, oh for sure, meme stocks are on the. A couple of those are on the zombie stock list. Some of those have got a lot of money, though, so they're 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 going to be around for a while. Uh, you know, when we when we get into the the, the nuts and bolts around basic materials, um, warrior Warrior Met Coal is extremely interesting stock. Uh, people, a lot of people think coal ESG it's it's terrible, um, but there are two types of coal. There's metallurgical coal and there's thermal coal. Thermal coal is the stuff that does most of the pollution, is create, used to create electricity, used to create heat, uh, big pollutant. Then there's the metallurgical coal that's required to create steel or, or or use in about 80% of steel production. And we need steel like it's going out of stock. We need steel to build all the solar panels and turbines. I mean, in fact, steel is is one of the most important ingredients in all of the green energy infrastructure. Uh, we need we need steel to build cars we need we need steel to build machines um you know and, and so uh the this 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 metallurgical coal company has just been decimated valuation-wise if it's going to go out of business and yet it's supplying one of the most important ingredients to one of the most important i think sector you know call it sector but uh, groups of companies uh drivers in, in the world and that's steel steel demand and for that matter we like a couple steel companies nucor and, and um steel dynamics uh they're you know all these stocks are trading as if their profits are profits are going to permanently decline by 40 or 50 percent
1: and would you put that just at the sector that they're in
0: uh I I put it I put it like specifically for steel so basic materials is a bigger picture and I, I think there's other opportunities similar to that that are kind of coming back to the theme I mentioned before you know we're getting ahead of ourselves on the big picture with AI and 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 things just you know and robots doing things right but What's building the machines? What's building the robots? Right. What What do we need for that? We still need steel. We still need steel for all the stuff that keeps the the the, the world going in its current form. So, um, uh, and we still need a lot of basic materials for that matter. And, and so, yeah, I think th- those are examples of those kinds of opportunities. If that hopefully that answers the question.
1: Yeah, I think it does. Um, what are you looking at in the financials?
0: Uh, we like Zion's Corp. We like Discover Services, uh, Discover. We 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 put that on our long list a few months ago. It's done extremely well. I think, I'm not sure on Zion. I think it's still relatively flat. Uh, both of those are businesses that have got great underwriting and good capital cushions. Uh, I also like Schwab. Uh, Schwab's capital cushion and ratios aren't quite as strong, but it's a more diversified business. Uh, and so I think there's some potential near-term pressure on Schwab and having to sort of raise some more funds. But ultimately, I think you're going to get, you're getting Schwab now at a great discount. Uh, and same as, same for Zions, same for Discover. They're all trading as if they're, well, Zions and Discover are trading it as if profits will permanently decline by a huge amount. Schwab is just way cheaper than we've seen in a long time. And we just think it's one of the most prime, great businesses in the financial sector uh, out there. Uh, similar with JP Morgan. You know, I've said JP Morgan is safer than an index fund. Why? Because I think... Uh, when I say index fund, I mean like the SP 500, because the SP 500's got so much junk in it right now uh, with respect to technology and narrative driven, speculative driven stocks. Whereas JP Morgan is just, uh, I mean, it's big, diversified, best returns on capital in the business, huge amount of free cash flow. I think the beta on JP Morgan is going to be, be better than the beta on the SP 500. And I think uh, through and through overall, you've just got a better overall profile of the business if you aggregate all of the all the companies up for the S&P 500 you're looking, you know, at uh you know, a free cash flow of, of of around 3% you know, and JP Morgan's got 6%. um you're looking at re, re, you know, higher returns on capital but not as good at trends in economic earnings for the S&P 500 versus s and versus JP Morgan. Um, when you're looking at valuation for J.P. Morgan, you know you've got a, a, a price that implies a permanent 20% decline in profits. The S&P level, you're looking, you know, at at a price that implies a 450% improvement in profits, and the net present value of future profits is 450% of what current profits are. That's what's baked into the price of the S&P 500. Baked in the price of J.P. Morgan is a permanent decline in profits so risk reward here is just phenomenally better
1: do you have do you have broad thoughts on regional banks and and bigger banks given kind of what we've seen in the market this year
0: nothing too I think too revelatory Mm uh Rena I think you know the big banks versus the small banks big advantage right you know that's kind of what's that's that's for sure that The big, big banks don't have the same risk that the regional banks carry. And I think at the regional bank level, the answer is not, you know, not sexy or exciting, but you got to do your homework. You got to sharpen your pencil. And there's some great opportunities and values out there. And there's some risky ones still. And I think, you know, long term, a lot of this is all narrative driven. Uh, You know, I think when you look at First Republic, yeah, they made some bad investments. But, you know, until people started, like, sort of pulling the flowers up out of the ground to check the roots right um and 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 like forcing people to mark things to market that didn't necessarily need to be marked to market you know that's just been bad for bad for society you know and force some of these businesses out and you know i think what happened with silicon valley bank was you had a phenomenally terribly run business uh, and they deserve to go out of business, uh, precipitated by some of the very people who got bailed out. So I think we'll probably look, the history, we'll, we'll probably not too, look too kindly on that all of that. But at the end of the day, this decline in trust in the banking institution to effectively borrow short-term and lend long-term, which is what they're supposed to do so people can get yield, um, the, th- the fact that that is now being effectively thrown under the bus as people become so bloodthirsty for higher short term returns and as they see those evaporate in other places where they've been able to get them easily in the past, there's effectively kind of undermining the 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 core elements of trust in society. That's not a good thing.
1: Yeah. Um, While being mindful to not put the robot before the cart, how are you looking at tech?
0: Very similarly, I think you've got to really just be discerning. You know, look, I mean, that's a theme that I feel like is overlooked these days, the importance of discernment in everything we do, allocating all of our resources, emotional resources, physical resources, financial resources, spiritual resources, right? You know, uh, emotionally, you don't want to invest a lot in people that will betray you. You don't want to invest in folks that aren't going to provide you a good return. And that's not an exploitative thing. That means if you love someone, you want to be loved back. You deserve to be loved back, right? Um, That's a return on your emotional investment. Uh, You know, I think the same is true on, you know, for for physically. We don't want to go out there and pound our heads into a wall. We're not going to get a good return on that behavior. If we exercise, we probably will. Uh, And I think people need to think about investing in the same way. If you put money into businesses that take it and burn it, or reallocate that to Wall Street and executives, you're going to suffer. If you put money into businesses that can take a dollar and make it into a dollar twenty, you're going to prosper. As long as as long as you buy that investment at a good price, you effectively the, the real way is to think about: I need to buy that investment at a price that implies the company is going to take a dollar and make it into sixty cents, but the company actually takes a dollar and makes it into a dollar twenty. That's what investing is about. Right. You have to you have to buy low expectations, sell high expectations. And that's what makes it a little bit difficult because the expectations play such a role here. And if expectations get abnormally high in a way that just drives the price higher and higher, and the self-reinforcing sort of narrative that's based on no real connection to fundamentals, you get in trouble. So um, I want to make that distinction it's not as simple as just putting your money into something that's going to make value, make money. You have to buy it at a price that implies it's going to make less money than it actually makes. That's the point of the stock market. That's the whole Mr. Market analogy. Buy from Mr. Market when he's overly pessimistic, sell when he's overly euphoric. Um and that's that's a that's a dynamic, but the the, the general underlying theme here Rita, is that we as individuals and in, in a in a free enterprise society are the ones who have to be responsible for allocating resources intelligently can't expect anyone else to do that that's not your money manager that's not necessarily your fund manager or a mutual fund or hedge fund or even financial advisor you got to make sure that they're doing that kind of work responsibly we can't just pretend that it's going to happen because if if we, if we do choose to abdicate that we're going to see continued misallocations of capital and that i think ultimately leads to the demise of our society because if we keep wasting money so we go we keep you know you can't burn it forever
1: <laughs> you think this ai hype are you likening the ai hype to just frothy frothy companies getting swept up in a narrative
0: a lot of it absolutely just like we've seen with every other kind of hype i mean look at the fast casual restaurant hype you know <laughs> hype hy- hype uh hype is everywhere uh all the time especially in a world where it can be whipped up and 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 channeled and and profited from so easily right i mean people are selling activity on reddit to institutional investors people are selling activity on robinhood to institutional investors payment for order flow you know information is currency and there are there are big firms that are set up to do nothing but exploit it uh nai is just another one does that mean all ai businesses are bad no again you got to be discerning some AI is positive. Some is great. Some, is, some isn't. But Wall Street's going to sell you on all of it, so it can sell you more of it, right? Just like a car dealer or any salesperson. Do they want to sell you more or less? Do they want you to be more or less educated? Do they want you to be more or less discerning? No, they make money right now by selling as much to you as they possibly can. And I've been on Wall Street, and I've seen exact That's exactly what the behavior is all about. There have been many books written on that, whether it's Michael Lewis uh, or... or um uh, nasim taleb i mean they've written books like biography uh biographies on just the the personalities and i've seen it firsthand they want to make as much money as they can right now <laughs> that means saying whatever they need to say to get you to buy as much as they, as much of what they're selling as possible and and that's part of why i kind of say look be discerning understand what you're up against realize these people in wall street made lots of money why? Because they're good at selling the best salespeople in the world. We've seen it time and again. So understand that if that's who you're up against, do some diligence and making sure they're telling you the truth, making sure that you understand the fundamentals. Don't just trust what you hear.
1: So what's a good example of, of discernment in the tech space? What's what's a good example of that of a tech
0: stock that we like? Yeah, uh, you know, let me let me let me go through the list here. I'm trying to think of a uh, uh, Intel is is one that jumps to the top of the screen here uh you know a a great stock really cheap that's just been beaten down for a long time uh that has a lot of tailwinds you know whether it's the reshoring of a very important industry whether it's the growth of a very important industry um you know in many ways intel is 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 sort of a pick and shovel for ai you know and the continued digitization and growth in data cisco is another one of those that's like that. Um, and, and those are two examples, I think, of being discerning, understanding where 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 there's not a lot of hype and where the underlying fundamentals and economics of the business are good.
1: Um, what do you think uh, investors would be best served knowing in terms of looking at, you know, how much tech is affecting different sectors of the market? How do you think that uh, investors should be thinking about tech influencing like different sectors? Do you think that it's specific to the companies or do you think that there's, broadly speaking, companies getting into different things that aren't gonna make sense for them?
0: You know, I think it comes back down to good management, right? Is management discerning, right? Think about that, you know. I'm Investors are the owners of capital managers are effectively their agents right agents job is to be is to grow your capital that's the, their overriding prime directive is to grow that capital take that dollar make it into a dollar more which means they better be discerning about how they allocate your capital that's their number one job if you've got a management team that's got a good track record of being discerning well then you're in good shape hopefully right I mean, unless they go nuts and you know all of a sudden lose it right and how do you measure whether or not they have a good track record of being discerning you look at the return on invested capital over time of that business you know you look at how much cash flow the company's generated on the capital that has been invested with it or trusted with it that's what you got to do uh and, and that's that's number one first and foremost uh and the second part of the answer is you know i like to say to our team here you know technology is every sector now right you know it's healthcare or basic materials you know technology is changing the way that if it's not changing the way you do business to make to do business better then you know you're falling behind technology is really everything right and so i i think that's that to me i think has been in place for a long time honestly since the beginning of time right if you're not using sort of new methods to get better to do things differently you know you you don't really have a sustainable business right because we live in a competitive world Right. If there's one thing that we, we've learned in, as a society, you know, and we, we know about ourselves, we all want to make money. Right. Uh, everybody wants to be rich. Uh, and and capitalism, you know, is something that uh, can 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 be very effective and, and, and also can be very ineffective. Uh, but it ultimately, it taps into this underlying desire to to get more for ourselves. Uh, and that means that if you got a way to get a lot for yourself, people are watching and they're going to copy it. So if you've got a 70% margin uh, and you're doing well, people are going to come in and say, oh, you know what? I can, I'm happy to take 60% and still make a profit. And then someone comes along and says, I'm happy to take 50. And then someone says 40 and 30, you know, and, it, and let's just say that the 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 threshold for making money is 10. Well, you know, that business quickly goes to a point where the margin gets down to maybe 10 and a half, unless someone in that business can do things in a way that'll, that their competitors can't, and they can generate higher margins. That's the process of competition. And so you've got to constantly innovate and reinvent yourself uh, or, your, or the competition will effectively eat away your margin. And technology is one of the most important, best ways to do that. Technology and culture
1: culture, like in the in the company. You're saying? Yeah,
0: I think culture. I think that yeah. is the bit to, to motivate and attract good people who will do better than folks who don't care.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, David, I really appreciate you getting uh both esoteric and practical with us. I think a lot of uh, food for thought. I'm interested. You've been with Seeking Alpha for almost as long as I have. I'm curious what your what you get from writing for Seeking Alpha or maybe what your favorite thing about writing for Seeking Alpha has been
0: um so rena uh yeah I, I think um i think the the exposure on seeking alpha has has been has been great for us um we used to put a ton more out there on seeking alpha and we we pulled a lot back um because you know what we do i think is, is some sort of very high value add work uh but I, I love i love the uh exposure to lots of people i love the exposure to a lot of different ideas I love the interaction with people who read our articles. Uh, I think you know. I think it's become a great marketplace for it's a lot of self-directed investors to get a lot of good research. Uh, I think it's really important to remain to be discerning. Um, I think for sure, uh, everyone gets caught up in certain fads, and and we've seen, um, you know, times when some of our articles do extremely well and, and 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 then don't do well. You know, it's just because people are are moody. Um, But I think what you'll find from our research is that it's very consistent. We beat the same drum. We care about discernment, we care about helping our clients become more discerning, and we're extremely discerning in our own research. Nobody does a better job at getting to to the truth about earnings than we do. That's proven independently by papers from Harvard Business School, Ernst & Young, that have been published in peer-reviewed journals. And we apply that to our ability to see which management teams are most discerning in our measurement of return on invested capital which flows into our valuation analysis, which helps us understand how euphoric or pessimistic Mr. Market is about the stock. So people can make good decisions about buying good businesses at good prices. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, day in, day out. And sometimes it's more popular than it is at other times. Uh, But people can trust that we're always going to stay true to that.
1: Yeah, gotta stay with a little traditional uh, success in the face of all these uh, newfangled disruptions. And uh thanks for thanks for spending time with us today and sharing so much of your insights and and going deep with us. And uh here's to the next conversation. And we always enjoy I always enjoy reading you on Seeking Alpha, and I imagine many people listening do too. So appreciate you sharing your insights with the larger Seeking Alpha community and thanks for coming on today.
0: Thank you, Rita. I enjoyed being with you.
1: Appreciate it. Look for David Trainers articles on Seeking Alpha. And all Investing Experts podcast episodes are available with full transcripts on Seeking Alpha. Also, any article mentioned in this podcast will be available on the show notes. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app and we'll see you soon with a new episode.